I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 15, and we're going to continue in our sermon series to Romans, and we will be finishing Romans in just a matter of weeks, a Sunday after Thanksgiving, and then I plan on starting an Advent series. Of course, don't forget, we will be having a Sunday in Advent where uh, the children are going to have, be having a program, and that's just going to be exciting, of course. But um, around there, we're also going to have an Advent series, a Christmas series, on the people and characters of Advent. And the first sermon, I believe, in my plan will be on the angels. But we're going to continue Romans. And, you know, Romans is such a powerful book. Of course, the whole scriptures are the word of God. I don't know if you ever listened to Moody Radio. I would encourage it. All good Christians listen to Moody Radio. No, I'm just kidding about that, okay? But a Christian radio is a good way to redeem the time when we're in the car or doing something. But, you know, uh, Dr. Radownik's on an open line on, on Saturday mornings from 10 to noon, and he started out last week talking about the problems of red-letter Bibles. And I was reading on Facebook, on his Facebook page, the Open Line Facebook page, and I was reading the comments, the heat he took for those comments. But his only point is the, all of the scripture, the Old and New Testaments, all inspired by the Lord. You know, and there's many different passages we could talk about with that, which I didn't prepare to talk about that today. I just believe the Holy Spirit told me to tell you it right now. You know, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is God breathed. And that's referring to the Old Testament. And then uh, Peter writes in first or second, I think it's second Peter, and he talks about the Apostle Paul, kind of hard to understand, but right there. And when Peter references the Apostle Paul, he references him along with scripture, Along with Scripture, so Peter is endorsing Paul, you know. So the Old and New Testament, all the Word of God, whether it's red letter or not, is all the Word of God. And we turn to Romans 15, and, and I've just been blessed as I've preached and taught through the book of Romans uh, this year. We began at the begin, in the beginning of January, and we'll end right in time for Advent. So Romans 15, we're going to start at verse 14 here in a moment, but I want to talk to you a little about observation. They say when you're studying the Bible reading the Bible, we need to observe details, observe things. Sometimes we need to come to the Bible, come to our Bible study like a child. Oftentimes we think I've, you know, I've read that scripture a thousand times. We don't notice things. We forget, notice, we forget to notice. Sometimes we might notice the wrong things. Sometimes maybe we've heard a certain passage a billion times in our life ever since we were a child, and maybe we were taught it even wrongly. But since we don't really notice and we're not really observing, we're not corrected. Pastor Bobby Murphy preached a wonderful sermon called Idea Grip. And I had heard about it and asked him to send it to me, and I read it last week. Maybe some of you remember it. And he gave several different spiritual things that people have been taught, which are just wrong. But sometimes we're caught with idea grip, <laughs> that even once we're told evidence and information to the contrary, we will not change our mind because it's idea grip. So when we come to the scriptures, sometimes we read the word of God in, in two or three different ways. I think they're all important. We read the Bible fast and we read the Bible slowly. Sometimes, you know, you're just going through it fast to get the grand narrative of the scriptures. Maybe you're on a one-year Bible reading plan or something like that. You're getting the grand narrative of the scriptures. That's important. Other times we're reading the Bible slowly. Maybe for scripture memory, maybe for Bible study, maybe for Sunday school, maybe for a small group. And you got to slow down and notice things. It's like being on a plane. You might be flying over Florida and maybe you can tell that there's something down below you. Maybe the ocean, right? That's not over Florida, that's over the coast. You see the ocean and you can tell it's the ocean. 
but you can't see the seashells and things like that. You have to, to see the seashells, you have to go down, you know, and, 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 and walk the beach and things like that to get the, the details. So I want to, so think about observation when you're studying the scriptures and make sure you slow down sometimes and make sure you think like a child. There is a small bottle on a desk of Sir William Osler. He was the eminent professor of medicine at Oxford University and the bottle was urine in that on the desk. Sitting before him was a classroom full of young, wide-eyed medical students listening to his lecture on the importance of observing details. To emphasize his point, he reached down and he picked up the bottle, holding it high, and he announced, this bottle contains a sample for analysis. It's often possible by tasting it, tasting the urine, to determine the disease from which the patient suffers. Suiting action to words, he dipped a finger into the fluid and then into his mouth as he continued. Now, I'm going to pass the bottle around. Each of you, please do exactly as I did. Perhaps we can learn the importance of this technique and diagnose the case. Do exactly as Sir William Osler did. The bottle made its way from row to row as each student gingerly poked his finger in and bravely sampled the contents with a frown. Dr. Osler then retrieved the bottle and startled his students with these words. Gentlemen, now you will understand what I mean when I speak about details. Had you been observant, you would have seen that I put my index finger into the bottle, but my middle finger into my mouth. Observing details. We need to observe details as we're studying the scriptures. And, 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 and that's my aim as I preach. And, and that's our aim when we teach Sunday school and things like that. It's not reading the Bible fast. It's slowing down and observing the details. And, and sometimes, hopefully all the time, worshiping God in the details, glorifying God in the details, exalting God in the details. We look at it and we're like, this is amazing as we study Romans. This is amazing. Romans 8.32. Romans 8, like the most powerful chapter in the Bible. If God did not spare his son for us, what else will he not do for us? These are amazing passages. We're going to get to some amazing doxologies over the next several weeks. But today, today, my theme is that Paul desired to take the gospel to the unchurched. Paul desired to take the gospel to the unchurched, those who had never heard the gospel. Paul wanted to take the gospel, to, uh, to, to preach the gospel, to plant the seeds on fertile soil. To those who have never heard the gospel, he wanted to take the gospel to those who had never heard the gospel, what we might call the unchurched. Andy Stanley, uh, at their church, describes the unchurched of the, as those who have not entered a church in five years or more. As we look out on our world today, that's true of many. The application, I hope we also take care to share the gospel. I've said this before, I'll say it again, I'll say it again and again and again. I think oftentimes we are, we're not sharing the gospel, and that's because we're discouraged. We wouldn't admit it, maybe we're a perfectionist. And we think if you start to share the gospel, you have to get through the end. And you're unsuccessful if they do not say a sinner's prayer and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior at the end of the day and come to your church the following Sunday and things like that. That's not true. It's not our job to save, it's God's. It's our job to share. And there's a second problem with that too. You're only called to share 
as long as they are open to listening. Sometimes we're just planting a seed. Sometimes you just start talking about something spiritual. You bring up prayer. May I pray with you? And they're turned off. You can tell right away they do not want to talk. Or maybe you can pray, but they don't want to talk about anything spiritual after that. We had Doug Pollock a few years ago talk about God's space. That's what this is. It's having a spiritual conversation. You know, just at least plant seeds. And that's all you're doing at that point. Sometimes they're very open. You bring up prayer and they want to talk about spiritual matters further. And then you can continue. And don't be discouraged. Look at it as planting seeds. We're going to see Paul's ministry in verses 14 through 18. So Paul has written about conscious issues, and he's written about sacrificing uh, for each other, and now he moves on. So far in the last two chapters, in Romans chapters 14 and 15, Paul has talked about sacrificing for each other. He has told them, you know, you're free to eat the food sacrificed to idols. You're free to drink from the wine that was used as libation offerings at, at the sacrifices. You're free to do that. He's not talking about going into the idol's temple. He's talking about buying the food in the marketplace, and he's saying, you're free. You're free to do that. But he also says, but some of you, some of you have conscious issues. He calls them the weaker brethren. And he says, welcome them. Don't argue. Don't argue. Don't divide. Welcome each other over conscience issues. That's what he's been talking about. And in the last section, really ended with a prayer. And now we talk about Paul's mission. We're going to talk about Paul's passion. And I love this passage because it's such an awesome prayer passage. It's a pas- the way this passage ends in verses 20 and 21 is a passage I've been convicted to pray for about 12 years, to pray this scripture for myself, for my children, for my grandchildren, for the churches that I serve, for the churches across America, because it's a passion to declare the gospel. I pray that we have a passion to care to declare the gospel. I pray that we have a passion that we know Jesus and we want others to know Jesus as well. We see Paul's passion in this passage. This is interesting because in Romans, we've seen the mutual need for Jews and Gentiles to know Christ. Romans 1, Gentiles called the the nations, the non-Jewish people, the non-Israelites, the Gentiles need a Savior. Romans 2, he's saying the Israelites are without excuse. They need a Savior. Romans 3, everyone needs a Savior for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone needs a Savior. And Paul continues to beat that drum throughout pretty much the rest of the book of Romans, but especially through Romans chapter 11. Now Paul talks about his ministry to the Gentiles. Look at verse 14. I hope you have your Bibles opened or the scriptures in the sermon manuscript if it's in front of you or or on your tablets. Romans chapter 15, verse 14. This is from the English Standard Version, the ESV. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. I myself, Paul's talking about himself, am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. So he's talked about all these conscience issues, right? He's talked about the divisions, and now he's, he's complimenting them, right? He's, he's complimenting them. He's using familial language. He's calling them his brethren, or you could even translate it, brothers and sisters. He's talking highly of them. He's, he's loving them. He's encouraging them. They're able to instruct each other. He says they're filled with all knowledge, What knowledge? Is he talking about the rich 
theology of salvation called soteriology that he's been writing about? Is he talking about spiritual gifts? If he, is he talking about the, who, who won the gladiator games last week? Is he talking about who, who's on the throne? Is he talking about you know, what the news of the current day? I don't think so. I think it's quite likely when he's talking about filled with all knowledge, he's talking about the knowledge that they are free. They have freedom in Christ to eat from the marketplace. That's what he's been talking about. Context is so important when you're reading and studying the scriptures. And the context has been about the food in the marketplace. He says, I know that you are filled with all knowledge. It could be. He means that they have knowledge about their freedom in Christ. Now look at verses 15 and 16. But... There's a conjunction, contrasting conjunction. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. So he complimented them, and now he's saying, but on some points, I've had to write boldly. It's interesting because the church at Corinth had said that the apostle Paul was bold when writing, but very timid face to face. He wanted to write boldly, but when he was with them, he wanted to just be able to love them and support them and and sing Christmas carols together or whatever, you know. But at some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder. He said to remind them because of the grace, he says, the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus. Whenever you see Christ, remember that's not his last name, it's his title. He says, because I'm a minister, that means a servant of Messiah Jesus, a servant of Messiah Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a powerful couple of verses. There's a lot in there. We talk about observing details. There's a lot in there. You could, we could spend five sermons on there, but we're not going to do that because you would get bored with me. But Paul is saying so much on here. Paul's coming back to his purpose. One, one person writes, verses 15 and 16, what I just read, provide the closest thing Paul gives for a purpose statement for this epistle. He wants to be a minister of Christ Jesus, a minister of Messiah Jesus to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the non-Jews. Is his purpose statement, a purpose statement for this letter, for this epistle. Paul says he was very satisfied in them. They are full of goodness. But at some points he needed to write boldly. He needed to remind them of the grace he was given from God or by God. The grace was to be a minister. I'm just breaking down the verses right here. The grace was to be a minister, a servant. And who is he a minister of? He's a minister of Christ Jesus, of Messiah Jesus. And who does he, that, that's who he represents. Do you realize that? He represents the Messiah. He represents Christ Jesus. And if you are here today and you are in Christ and you're a believer in Christ and you know Jesus, you represent Christ everywhere you go as well. You're an ambassador of Christ everywhere you go. I was at the Pregnancy Help Center banquet Thursday night. Great, great, great banquet. Great testimony. Great speakers. Just wonderful banquet. A great ministry uh, going on through the Pregnancy Help Center. And I'm sitting next to a doctor uh, who's on the board, and she's from Pittsburgh. And I said, you're from Pittsburgh. Are you a Steelers fan? She said, I am. You know, that's how you make conversation, right? She said, I am. And she said, and, and I knew that she, her background is a Christian Mission Alliance church, as is mine, and Megan's, and Megan's sitting next to it, me too. And, I, and she said, she's seen Mike Tomlin in the parking lot at her church in Pittsburgh. So if you ever wonder why Mike Tomlin's never had a losing season, that's exactly why. 
Anyways, no, my point is saying that is not just to weed the Steelers into, into a sermon, that too, but he's an ambassador, right? Now, if, if somebody sees him at church, Mike Tomlin at church in the parking lot, later on they see him just cussing out the ref, he's an ambassador. We are all ambassadors for Christ for good or for bad, and sometimes for both. And we have to remember to represent Jesus for good. And when we do represent Jesus for bad, which will happen, none of us are perfect, we need to own up. We need to say, I'm sorry, that was wrong of me. I repent. I ask, for your, I ask your forgiveness. Paul continues. Paul says he is in the priestly service of the gospel of God. What did a priest do? A priest gives sacrifices on behalf of the people. What did Paul do? Paul told them about Jesus' sacrifice on behalf of the people. But what else? It looks like Paul wanted to be offering the Gentiles so the offering of the Gentiles, he says, he wants to present the Gentiles as an offering acceptable, sanctified. Sanctified means to be set apart. Sanctified, set apart by the Holy Spirit. It seems like Paul wants to reach the Gentiles with the gospel and present them, and present them back to the Lord. Reach the Gentiles, that's all the nations, non-Israelites. He wants to reach the Gentiles with the gospel and present them back to the Lord, but they're not back to the Lord as unsaved. He wants to present them back to the Lord, saved, set apart, sanctified. That's pretty neat. Set apart by the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 9, verse 15 God says that Paul is a chosen instrument of his to reach the Gentiles. In Romans eleven thirteen, Paul calls himself an apostle to the Gentiles. Let's move on. Look at verse 17. We're just walking through this passage. Look at verse 17. He says, in Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. In Christ Jesus, he has reason to be proud of his work for God, but only in Christ. Apart from Christ we can do nothing, Romans, uh, John 15, 5. Look at verse 18. Paul says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed. So Paul will only talk about what Christ has accomplished through him as it related to the Gentiles coming to obedience to Christ. Paul will expand on this in the next verse, but this verse is about how Paul's words and actions brought the Gentiles to faith. Do we care that our words and actions bring people to salvation? Do we care that our words and actions bring people to salvation? I hope we care about that. I hope that's important to us. Are we able to restrain ourselves to only speaking about what Christ does through us? Paul says he will only speak of what Christ has done through him. Now, Paul is building up to a powerful conclusion. Look at verse 19. It's about his miracles and mission field. Verse 19. He says, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Ilericum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, so Paul has been talking about what Christ has done through him, and he's only going to talk about what Christ has done through him. And, and then he talks about the powers of signs and wonders. How are they done? By the power of the Spirit of God. Paul seems to be reluctant to talk about all the miracles done through him. And I think it's because, and some, not just me, think it's because he doesn't want them to focus on Paul. He wants them to focus on God. 
But right here, he's showing that as Paul declared the gospel in these geographical regions, there's been signs and wonders and miracles. We see those in Acts chapter 13 and 14. We see them in other passages. You know, Paul preached so long one night that a guy fell asleep and fell out of a window and died. I've never done that. I know some of you might think occasionally I got a little long-winded, but I'm in good company if that's the case. But Paul went downstairs, out the door, and prayed over the man, and the man comes right back to life. Paul, God did these awesome miracles through him. There's a great book, The Case for Miracles, by Lee Strobel. And as he studies miracles, and as we see in the scriptures, the miracles are not about the person being healed or anything like that. It's about the gospel. It's about declaring the gospel. So we see great miracles done through the Apostle Paul to declare the gospel. God has worked through Paul by word and deed and also by the power of signs and wonders. Further, by the power of the Spirit of God. And he says, and and it says, what is this accomplished? If you look at the passage, it says, so that from Jerusalem, so Jerusalem was like the home base of the early church, right? And then he says, all the way to Illyricum, which I might have mispronounced, the gospel has been proclaimed. So that's kind of like the northern region of a Roman territory. I have more information about that in the sermon notes if you, if you pick that up. But it's basically saying there's a region of about 1,400 miles that Paul has taken the gospel to. He's been all over these areas planting churches. And, and that's what he's talking about right here. They've all have the, uh, had the opportunity, the excellent opportunity to be saved. Illyricum re- uh, represents the northern limit of Paul's ministry so that people could be saved so that the power of the holy spirit has worked through paul using signs and wonders and miracles to bring people to salvation in verses 20 and 21 we see paul's strategy look at verses 20 and 21 he says and thus this is what i love and thus i make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. Paul says his ambition is to preach the gospel, but not to preach the gospel where they've, ever heard, where they've already heard it. He doesn't want to build on someone else's foundation. He wants to start his own foundation, to start his own church, so to speak. He wants to take the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel. And he quotes Isaiah 52, 15, which is first and foremost about the, the coming again of the suffering servant of Jesus. Isaiah chapters 52 and 53 are all about the suffering servant about Jesus. But he applies them right now to him. Isaiah 52, 15, he applies it uh, to, to his ministry, proclaiming the gospel. He cared that the gospel was proclaimed so that people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Do we care that people come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior? I remember being a child and I was at a a family gathering and my great uncle was there. Uh, He was a World War II veteran and told great stories. And and he tells my dad a joke about a, a minister that came to visit an elderly lady to talk about the hereafter. Talk about eternal matters. And the elderly woman is upstairs and he's waiting for her to come down. He sees nuts on the table. So he starts to eat the nuts. And then she comes down and he says, hope you don't mind. I helped myself to some of the nuts as I waited for you. And, and she said, that's okay. I already licked the chocolate off of them. <laughs> and the point of the joke is not just to be uh, gross, 
but he was there to talk about the hereafter, even in a joke. He was there to talk about eternal matters. Do we care about eternal matters? I was listening yesterday to Dr. Radelnik on Open Line on Moody Radio, and a lady called in, and she said, I have a question about the rapture. If I'm raptured up, so this is in 1 Thessalonians, and we're raptured, and Jesus calls the church up to heaven, I believe, at the beginning of the tribulation period. And she says, if I'm raptured up, what happens to my animals, my pets? And I was listening, thinking, that's interesting. Never heard that. Or if she was saying, are they going to be saved as well? And she was concerned that her pet would be saved and raptured up with her, be provided for. And so I heard yesterday on Moody Radio, the producer got on and said, there's actually a service that you can get and you must obviously pay them advance in advance and they will provide for your pets in the event that you are raptured. Uh, and which, which means if you work for that service, obviously they must understand they're not going to be raptured because they don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Do we care about the gospel? Do we care about eternal life? Do we care that really we are going to be raptured when Jesus comes again? And that our friends and family and coworkers and colleagues and sphere of influence, that they know Jesus. The apostle Paul, didn't, he didn't want to make small talk about the news or weather or whatever. At least it seems like he didn't. He wanted to talk about the hereafter. He wanted to talk about eternal matters. He wanted to preach the resurrection. In fact, we see passages such as Acts 17 when he's at Athens, when they're all happy when he's talking about just and philosophical issues of the day. But when he starts talking about the resurrection, that's when they say, I'm going somewhere else. He wanted to talk about eternal life. Do we want to talk about eternal life? A few years ago, Dr. Tennant, the president of Asbury Theological Seminary, said that there was a study that said that just 7% of the millennials are Christian. Just 7% of the millennials know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Now, I, I feel like I believe that the millennials have become a catch-all term for anybody younger. And actually, we've moved a little bit beyond the millennials right now, okay? Because if we're talking about 20-somethings now, they're not the millennials anymore. They're Gen Z. The millennials are a little bit uh, in governing power right now and in business and things like that. By some studies, the millennials are born after 1982, which I like because then I'm not one. In other studies, they're born after 1980. And if that's the case, I'm a senior millennial, as I've said before. I'm going to keep using that joke. And, um, but the point is only 7% of the millennials claim to be Christian. If that's the millennials... And Gen Z are those in the 20s. What does that mean for Gen Z? What does that mean for the next generation? Some studies would say 15% of the millennials know Christ. That's still a pretty low number. Dr. Tennant, who specializes in missions, has said that when a society or a culture group drops below 5%, they're considered an unreached people group. So if the millennials are 7%, and once you drop below 5%, you're an unreached people group. What's my point in sharing this except to say, we have people all around us who are unreached with the gospel. Paul wanted to plant where nobody had shared the gospel before. He wanted to take the gospel to the unreached people groups. We have unreached people groups all around us. And the challenge is, that we take seriously our call to be ambassadors for Jesus. And it starts with prayer. And as I said earlier, 
Oftentimes we get intimidated. We think we gotta make it all the way through the gospel. I would encourage you, just think about having spiritual conversations. Think about talking about prayer. And, you know, you dive into the spiritual through prayer. But before that, have a prayer list where you are praying for these spiritual conversations, where you are praying for opportunities to have God's space with other people. Angels in heaven rejoice over one sinner who comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You are on the front lines of the ministry for the gospel. If you are out there and you are out in the secular world, so to speak, I don't really think there's a separation between the sacred and the secular. Everybody's, everything's sacred in reality. But, but if you're out there and you're not working for the church, you're, not work, you're, you're out there, you're in business, you're in the world, you are on the front lines of the ministry. A lot of times we think pastors and missionaries are on the front lines. Not usually. It's, it's, it's really all of you. If you're in the business world, you have all types of opportunities to be an ambassador for Christ, either for good or for bad. I encourage you to take that as a challenge and take it seriously and pray for more spiritual conversations. In Acts chapter 8, Stephen had been stoned with rocks and the Christian church flees. They flee in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Later, the church in Antioch forms and it grows. And we don't know who started the church in Antioch. It wasn't an apostle. It was the common, the common lay people. You are on the front lines of the ministry. And I keep you in prayer about that. I really do. You all have a sphere of influence. We all have a sphere of influence and people need the Lord. If we see one thing for sure right now in our world, we see that people need Jesus. The world is upside down. Literally, the worldview is upside down. I look at things and think, how does this even make sense to anyone, the things going on right now? And it makes sense because the devil has blinded the minds of the unbelievers, as the scriptures say. People need the Lord. And God wants to use you and me and us to take the gospel to them. There was a missionary named Jim Elliott. He lost his life working with the fierce Aka Indians in South America, giving the last full measure of his devotion by pouring out his life. Shortly before Jim Elliott died, when he was asked about why he kept risking his life with such an inhospitable and seemingly ungrateful and un unpromising audience, he said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Recently, this is probably about 15 years ago, though, one of the Aka tribesmen spoke at an evangelistic event in Florida. After Jim Elliott died, this man was converted to the Christian faith in part due to the enduring impact of Elliott's witness. Now there is a significant group. There is right now a significant group of Christians among the Akas. Right now, the Aka Indian group, the Aka native group that Jim Elliott went to, studies show they were killing each other off so fast that if uh, Jim Elliott and his group did not go to them, they would have been extinct as a people group. But Jim Elliott and his, and his companions, they wanted to take the gospel to the unreached people, and he did. And they died. And they went to heaven. And their wives went back. And their wives shared the gospel with the people who killed their husbands. 
And one reason they were, they, were, they were receptive to the gospel is because when they went to spear them to death, they fired a shot in the air. And when that shot was fired, the tribes people knew they could have killed them, but they didn't. So when their wives went back, they were saved. There's a great book called End of the Spear and a movie about that. I would encourage any of you to read it or watch it and I could loan it to you. There is still truth to Tertullian's claim. Tertullian was an early church historian. And he said, the blood of the martyrs is a seed for the church. The blood of the martyrs is a seed for the church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for Paul's passion that we see right here. And Lord God, may we, may we have the same passion that we want to take the gospel to the unreached people groups. And may we remember that there are unchurched, uninterested people around us every single day. And many times they don't have a clue about what it means to be a Christian. Oh Lord God, may we take seriously the charge to have spiritual conversations, to plant seeds. And may it begin with prayer. Oh, Lord God, may we be praying for these spiritual conversations. If there's anyone here right now who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day where they confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior, believe in you as a one and only Savior, trust in you and commit to you. Lord, when we fail, convict us by the Holy Spirit. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for our life everlasting with you and the fuller life we have in you right now, the abundant life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. As the praise team comes up, the altars are always open. If the Holy Spirit has laid anything on your heart or there's something heavy on your heart, even if it's, it may not be salvation, it might just be you need to pray about something, you're welcome to come forward and pray.